Greetings in the precious name of Jesus. Enjoyed uh, service so far. Thank you all for your input. Different of you brethren who contributed. The last message that I shared two weeks ago, I uh, shared a message kind of preparing our hearts a bit for upcoming ordination, and uh, I plan to continue this morning down that train of thought. Um, Last time we talked quite a bit about God's care for us and his uh, interest in us and how he he's been there a long time ago already and, and meaning there he's been working on preparing a brother for this responsibility before we knew we needed a brother uh, all those kind of things and and just putting God in the in the focus which is uh where he needs to be. <clears throat> there were uh, several uh, discussions and even some questions that came up in discussions uh, surrounding ordination, and uh, and some of those uh, questions spurned me to just look at a few things in the scripture and. So this morning I'm not going to answer any of those questions directly, but I'm going to respond to them a little bit indirectly in that we're going to look at some things from Scripture that may speak into some of those questions. Um, and I actually enjoyed that. Uh, found some interesting observations in the Word of God. Um, so let's... Uh, Perhaps if you're able to stand together and we'll take a moment and commit this hour to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we, we do come in Jesus' name. Again, thankful today, thankful for the blessing of being able to assemble this way. Thankful, Father, that we have this freedom in our country. Thankful for each one that is here. Ask again your blessing on this part of the service. Pray that the things that I share would be from uh, your heart to our hearts and at the, uh, as we search the scriptures that we would have the understanding that you desire. And so we ask for your help, Father. Uh, bless uh, the preaching of the word this morning. Bless the hearing of the word as... Uh, the uh, prophets would say at times, hear the word of the Lord. And today we do want to hear your word, Father. So bless us. Bless us as a congregation. Continue to draw our hearts together. Continue, Father, to prepare our hearts uh, for the upcoming ordination. And work through us, Father, by your spirit, by your guidance, to uh, continue to uh, guide and establish uh, the congregation here in a in uh, your in your calling and in your uh, kingdom purpose again thank you we 
We are grateful to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> you may be seated. <clears throat> okay. Uh, I'd like to begin this morning and just give a little... Uh, um, a little glimpse into the timeline of Saul converted to Paul's life. Um, so we can turn to the book of Acts, chapter. We'll, we'll break. Uh, we'll, we'll come in in, in chapter nine. <clears throat> um, in in chapter nine, verse eleven. We have, uh, and it's, we can't look at all the, you know, all the scriptures that relate to this. We'd, we'd be reading several chapters probably, but we have the Lord, uh, coming to Ananias in a vision. And in verse 11, this is what he says to Ananias. He says, arise and go into the street which is called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul. Of Tarsus, and I want us to notice that Saul of Tarsus, this is Saul's hometown. For behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he may receive his sight. And that's uh, that's Saul's. This is the time frame of Saul's conversion, and uh, according to. Uh, the chronological Bible. I use the chronological Bible to, to get, get me some of the, uh, uh, the the dates per se. Uh, it's believed that this was AD AD thirty seven uh, that uh, Saul was converted. <clears throat> and uh, then, if we go on to verse uh, chapter chapter uh, nine, verse twenty and twenty one. It says, and, and this is speaking of, of Saul. Now let, let me read 19 to get the context. And when he had received meat, uh, this is immediately after Ananias had uh, uh, met with him and he was baptized and then he ate. Saul had been fasting. He ate. And it says, and when he had received meat, he was strengthened then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. And, and so uh, he went from persecuting the faith to proclaiming it. Uh, and, and, and immediately at that. So then, let's see... Uh, Let's uh, let's just grab a little scripture in Galatians. We're, we're trying to put together a little bit of the time frame of Saul's life. So immediately after he was converted, he he uh, he preached Christ uh, in the synagogue. Which, well, I'll make further comment on that in a bit. Uh, if we go to Galatians one eighteen, he says this. He says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. Uh, so three years later, he he goes up to Jerusalem. He, he's uh, he's uh, 
giving us a time frame there. And if we go back again to Acts, Acts chapter 9, verse 26, it says, And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself unto the disciples, but they were afraid of him. Uh, so, while it all happens very quickly in, in, in Acts chapter 9, it would seem like there's probably a three-year period here. Uh, as he said in Galatians, that after three years he went up. Uh, three years that we don't know a lot about. <clears throat> and then, uh, just, uh, okay, so he comes to Jerusalem. And then, let's go to Acts chapter uh, 10. Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11. Uh, we have... We have the situation here in Acts chapter 10 where uh, Cornelius, in verse 1, a centurion uh, of the Italian band, verse 2, a devout man and one that feared God and gave alms, um, but he's a Gentile, and we have him seeing a vision, and we have uh, God speaking to Peter, and letting down a sheet with all kinds of beasts in it and telling Peter to eat. God is opening Peter's heart to receive the Gentiles into the kingdom, into the church. Uh, we have that in chapter uh, 10. Uh, let's see. So yeah, that that the entire chapter, chapter ten, is is that account. Um, and chapter eleven, the early part of the chapter, is where Peter then needs to give an account of what he did at Cornelius's house because he's challenged on it, um, which uh, is a, is a part of that journey. And then when we get toward the end of chapter 11, in verse 19, it says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as, as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And uh, so they were, they were going around preaching. And in verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. And tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. And when he came, uh, and he had seen the grace of God and was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. Uh, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and faith, and much people was added to the Lord. And then verse 25, Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul, and brought him, and when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And so, I, I, I give us all that discourse or that history of Paul, uh, Saul, Paul's life. I'm going to use the word Paul um, to kind of 
to show us several things. Maybe, maybe I should go just a little bit further before I make those comments. Let's go on to chapter 13. Um, it says in chapter 13, verse 1, Now there were, were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simon, that was called uh, Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manon, which had been brought up with Herod, the patriarch, and Saul. Paul was part of this. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And, of course, they fasted and prayed, laid hands on them, and sent them away. <clears throat> I'd like to say something about the life of Paul. Uh, uh, Saul, Paul. Okay, so the, the time, the time from, the, from where we found him in AD, in AD 37, where Saul was converted, to the time that we have here in chapter 13, where Saul is actually Paul, or where Paul is actually... I'm going to say is actually commissioned to the work. The Lord specifically, uh, uh, he was ordained. I'm going to use the word ordained. He was ordained to the work that God had called him to. Uh, that time frame represents about eight years, according to the chronological uh, Bible. We don't see a lot of Saul, and I'd also like us to notice uh, Paul at that, uh, during that time, and I'd like us to notice that... Paul was already converted and was already preaching Christ when it was time for the gospel to be brought to the, Gent- uh, to the Gentiles. But God did not use Paul at that point. Though Paul was the, the uh, was in the end, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. But Paul, though he was converted and though he was preaching Christ, God uh, used Peter to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And I simply say that to, say, uh, to, to recognize that God had a time frame that he was working with. And Saul, Paul, didn't go from uh, persecuting and killing Christians to church planting and building the church, uh, per se. Yes, he was preaching Christ. Yes, we see him here and there. He went, he, he, uh, I missed actually one verse. Uh, the one... Where he, so in, right after his conversion, he was preaching, and uh, then just a little bit later, I'm wondering if I have it here, Acts nine, twenty six. Yes, uh, he was immediately preaching Christ. And it says that after that many days were fulfilled, we don't know how many, but it was many, the Jews took counsel to kill him. And by, by their lying await, but their lying await was known of Saul, and they watched in the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by, by the wall in a basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he, he, uh, so they led him down by a wall, uh, down the wall in a basket. And uh, I'm just trying to somewhere here. Yes, in verse 30. So he's he's with them. He's preaching. He's in verse 29. He boldly spake in the name of the Lord and disputed against the Grecians. But when they went about to slay him, 
which when his brethren knew, they, took, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. So they actually sent Paul back to his hometown. Uh, because everywhere he went, he was so bold and they were, they were just trying to knock him off everywhere he went. And they sent him back to his own town and we don't hear of him for a number of years there where we actually have no record of what Paul was doing. And then Barnabas, as we read earlier and noted earlier, Barnabas went to Tarsus to find Saul, brought him to Antioch. He stayed in Antioch for a year ministering and then the Lord uh, gave him the vision and called him. So, just an interesting study that I found that was generated out of some of the discussion that uh, we had. Um, so that's kind of the lifespan of Saul. He was converted, and it was uh, through those series of events that we have some history of him, some rec- recorded history. And then he was uh, he was sent back to his hometown. He he was there actually until he was fetched. They came and got him. You know whatever that means. But just just yeah. So, uh, and then he was, he was called, uh, there at Antioch when the Lord, um, said, separate me Paul and Barnabas. And, uh, the, uh, that's where I would see where Paul, uh, Paul was then ordained to his work that God had chosen him for and called him for. So whatever that's worth, uh, I found it interesting and thought you might too. God has a time frame. You know, God has a, has a, his way of working those things in our lives. <clears throat> okay. Uh, so now back to uh, our, us here and, uh, you know, the responsibility that is before us of discerning and calling another brother to the place of leadership. Uh, the, um, we have, we have the responsibility to, uh, try to discern and, uh, with God's help discern who he has, who he is, who he is calling to this responsibility. I'd like to, uh, just talk about that a little bit, the method of, of, of uh, choosing. Uh, there's a scripture in Matthew, and it's a familiar one to many of us. Well, let's turn to it. Matthew 6. No, no, excuse me, Matthew 9. Matthew 9, verse 36 says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said, then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Uh, there the focus, or yeah, the specific instruction is to pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors into his harvest. And, you know, maybe when we think about harvest, maybe we think of Tanzania or, or uh, Lebanon City, or, or, but this is the Lord's harvest, is it not? Isn't the local church and its 
continued work and its continued health and its continued uh, uh, development, isn't that part of the harvest? I think it is. And uh, I think that instruction would come to us, pray ye the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest, that he would he would call uh, individuals to places of responsibility. <clears throat> In Luke, let's, uh, several scriptures in Luke, let, let's go to Luke 10 first. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 1 and 2. After these things, the Lord appointed other seventy also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors into his harvest. Uh, again, kind of the same idea, but the context is a little different, where he talks uh, the context of where he send out 72 by 2. And then if we just turn back a couple pages to chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 12. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. And I, I bring that scripture in here again just to, uh, to draw our attention to the, to the subject of prayer. And Jesus spent a whole night in prayer when it, uh, when it was time to uh, appoint those twelve disciples. Uh, Jesus instructed us to Pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Uh, the church was praying when, uh, when the Holy Spirit said, separate me, Paul and Barnabas. They were praying. They were, they were ministering to the Lord in prayer. And I, you know, we're not told what they were praying for. They might have been praying about that very thing. There's a, there's a work to be done. There's, there's, uh, uh, there's souls to be saved. There's a gospel to be preached. There's heathen to be reached. They may have been praying about those very things. And, and the Lord says, hey, here's two men. I want to send them out. You separate these two men. We don't know for sure. It doesn't tell us exactly what they were praying. <clears throat> but I do, I do want to call, call our hearts, draw our hearts to the, to the subject of prayer regarding uh, ordination. I know I did last time. Uh, I want to continue that. Um, I guess I. So we have. We currently have it. Um, an understanding among us that we will vote, and if the voting is clearly, uh, uh, clearly comes out clear with what we're, we're ordaining one brother, and if the voting comes out clear that one brother is called forth, then that takes care of it. We'll go from, you know, we're, we're, we'll proceed on that level. If the voting uh, calls forward two or three, then we have agreed to use the lot. Um, and I'm, 
I personally, uh, I have, uh, I have never in our history actually used a lot. Uh, I've been, we've been in situation a few times where we have agreed together that we will use it if the situation presents itself in that way. And I am pers- personally, I am fine with that. I am, I'm okay to use a lot. Um, in, in its, but in its right context. However, step one must, uh, must be effective, first of all. And that is that of praying. And, uh, that as we have prayed and we have sought the Lord and we have in our hearts endeavored to discern who God is calling and we vote, um, if we have if we come up with votes where we have, um, oh, let's just say three and three, two, two, one, one, one. Uh, I don't know how, what for figures we'd need there. But to me, um, to me, those kind of votes, those kind of numbers would be uh, a failure in step one. Uh, just going to be honest with you. No, there's no individual brothers who are really being set forth as uh, that it appears that God is calling. We, we're all over the board. Uh, if we have, uh, if we have, let's. Uh, and again, I don't, I don't, I didn't take the time to think how many numbers we're actually working with. So I'm just going to use generic numbers. But if we would have. Uh, <coughs> Six. Uh, let me let me just bump that a little. Let's see. We would have seven, five, two, one, and one. I would be much more satisfied that uh, our voting has, in fact, set forth uh, two brothers clearly that it seems the Lord is calling. Uh, to this possibly calling to this responsibility. Uh, I would be very well satisfied if we came up with something more like uh, 12 and 3 and 1, you know. Uh, but nonetheless, I, I am very satisfied to to use a lot to discern between several brothers when when I when I'm if if. If it's something that we can clearly see that uh, step one was effective, was, uh, and I, I will say this, in this size congregation, uh, okay, let me say it this way, the larger the congregation, the more potential for um, even, you know, a five, a, a seven, a five, and a five, you know. The larger the congregation, the more potential you have to have a broader base of voting. But even so, even if we were a hundred families strong, I would still want to see some strong numbers on this side, uh, where clearly several brothers are are being uh, uh, a brother or several brothers, as opposed to being just. Many, many numbers on, on low levels. I, I, uh, I would say the Lord is, 
wanting us to go back to the the, the prayer closets and uh, I, I and what I was what I want to say is in a congregation this size um, I am definitely uh, satisfied to use a lot on two and we will use a lot on three it's probably stretching me a little bit um, because we're not that large and uh, but I, I just wanted to say that there is actually another method that could be very effective um, in in discerning if you have more than one. And one, that method would be to actually then make those two individuals known and then spending another week, two weeks, whatever we would choose in prayer and discerning and then voting again uh, just on those two individuals. Um, that could be a way to discern as well. Uh, so just throwing that out as uh, as um, yeah possibilities uh, perspectives and uh, and certainly calling us to being uh, prayerful. I I I really really do want us to be serious about that first step of. And to, uh, as opposed to shifting to where we're satisfied just having a whole bench full of men and cho- using a lot to discern it. I, I prefer not to, personally, I would, pre- I, I would, uh, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't be satisfied as, as I look at these scriptures and look at God's working, I wouldn't be satisfied to have our mentality go all the way to that side, to where we just decide, okay, uh, well, this brother might be a good choice, and this one might be a good choice, and he might do too, and maybe him, and we just put them all on the bench, and we just let the Lord choose with a lot. I just, I'm not satisfied going there. Uh, if we can get step one, be earnest in prayer, seek God, uh, endeavor to hear uh, what God is laying on our hearts, ask God to, to give us a sense. Uh, it's, it's amazing how God works, and... Uh, And then do our voting and recognizing that, um, yeah, in the past we used to sometimes ask for a 65 or 70 percent vote in order to be ordained. And uh, we were ordaining one brother. That one person had to have that many votes. And then you would vote and you didn't get there. And it was a failed ordination. And those things were frustration for people, even though uh, for myself, I was only once in a situation where we actually had to postpone a bit, um, but uh, had many successful ones. So, hope that answers. Hope I didn't make any confusion there. Um, so, a few thoughts on that, and I'm afraid I got more material than I'll get covered this morning. All right, uh, let's uh, consider now. As we uh, think about uh, voting and, and uh, think about calling a brother, the Bible does give us some instruction. I'd like to just talk about the uh, requirements or the uh, biblical uh, mandate that is given in the uh, 
in the qualifications when considering an elder. Maybe I just, uh, as we think about that, we, we of course, we have these two scriptures that give us the fullest context. Uh, one in Titus, one in Timothy. I'd like us to notice something, which I'm sure we noticed it already. Uh, in Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3 is the context where uh, Paul gives instruction to Timothy. It says in verse uh, 1, This is a true saying, If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. So that's the context, that is the statement that Paul prefaces what he's going to say. It's a man actually desiring the office, and maybe even in a sense stepping forth and saying, I'm willing. <laughs> I don't know, we, that's not been a part of my culture for sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, but anyhow, then if we, if we look in Titus, he says it this way, he says, For this cause, I, in verse 5 of chapter 1 of Titus, For this cause left I thee in Crete that thou shouldst set in order the things that are wanting, lacking there, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. And there he gives it in the context of instructing a a pastor on uh, giving him some direction when he goes into a a town, a city where there's a church, and there's no no, uh, appointed leadership there. He gives him instruction on how to discern and find and appoint that appropriate leadership. Uh, You know... uh, yeah, it's it's just an interesting comment. I I guess for myself, uh, I'm I'm. Uh, it appears like uh, Paul would have been okay in a situation if somebody would have came forth and actually expressed the desire to 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 fulfill the role of leadership. Um, but obviously, he gave a criteria that had to be met in order to do that. And perhaps there was enough of persecution against leaders in those days that to step forward and actually um, desire that kind of a position was one of almost stepping forward and saying, I'm willing to die. Uh, might have been that much, uh, that much of a, of a, I don't know, cross going with it that not just anyone was going to lightly step forward. I don't know. But anyhow, that aside, I am very satisfied and, and uh, believe it's uh, biblical uh, the method that we have uh, do use, um, I think it's important that uh, the person who is called is convinced that the Lord has called them. Uh, I think it's important that the congregation that calls the person forward is convinced that the Lord has called them, that individual. And... Uh, uh, Therefore, I would probably shy away from one leader appointing another leader uh, and probably shy away from just uh, accepting someone's, uh, what's the word, when they hand in their affidavit to be uh, considered for the job. <laughs> uh, I think it's important that, that uh, yeah, like I said, the person is convinced and the congregation is convinced that the Lord has indeed set forth this brother for this task. In uh, in the book of Acts, when they, uh, when they uh, appointed, when there was a need, and in that case it was more on the deacon level, but I think it's, it's uh, applicable anyhow 
as far as uh, what they said there. Uh, the, uh, the apostles, when there was a need in, in the church there in Acts chapter 6, the apostles said this, that it's, uh, that they instructed the church, they said, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out from among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And uh, there we actually have the church instructed to, in whatever manner they use, to, to discern and to call out leadership from there. Or in that case, it was uh, probably the office of a deacon, even though it doesn't use that word there. But uh, noting uh, uh, men who are full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom and of honest report. So we pick that up there. Uh, what does it mean to be full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom? So one of the prerequisites uh, that we also should be very serious about is that a brother is full of the Holy Ghost uh, and and wisdom. Wisdom perhaps might be, uh, wisdom comes in various ways. The Bible says if you lack wisdom, ask. Uh, wisdom comes from experience. Uh, wisdom is, yeah, it's a, it's a valuable, valuable treasure. Um, Jesus said, abide, with, abide in me and I in you, for without me you can do nothing, uh, full of the Holy Ghost, basically abiding in Christ. Uh, in Ephesians, Paul says, we're not to be drunk with wine, uh, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Uh, in Galatians 5, Paul says, uh, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So, uh, just thinking about being filled with the Spirit, how can we, uh, how can we discern? Uh, you know, as we observe a person's life, do we see the fruit of the Spirit at work? Uh, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, patience, temperance, so forth. Is that, do, is that what we see in, a, in an individual's life uh, on, on a consistent basis? doesn't mean that there isn't a moment or a time when a person makes a mistake or an error not you know not not wanting to make it appear that it has to be perfect but that there is consistency there is the fruit of the spirit is consistent in the person's life and the opposite of course would be the works of the flesh as we observe a, a person's response to life to life to people to circumstances, to difficulties, as we observe those responses, is there evidence of the Spirit of God and, and the fruit of the Spirit in those responses? What does, it, uh, what does it seem is motivating the individual? Is it the, the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, or is it the flesh, things of the flesh? Those are the things to think about when we think about being full of the Holy Spirit. So that's the, the, the first uh, prerequisite or, or uh, search out someone who is full of the Holy Spirit. Someone who you can tell that the Spirit of God is at work in their lives as they walk through life and handle life and its interesting scenarios. Second uh, point I'd like us to consider is that of reputable character. Uh, we find that in both Timothy and Titus and also there in Acts uh, of good report. So reputable character. Um, 
just some of the comments that uh, are made here in uh, in uh, Titus. It says, not self-willed, not soon angry, no striker. Um, not self-willed might be that a person is not just uh, driven by their own agenda, you know, not self-willed, not just about what they want. Uh, probably wouldn't be a real good fit for leadership if it's a person who is just about their own agenda and what they want and how they want it. Uh, a person not soon angry, a person who doesn't get easily upset and frustrated in life's situations and, and uh, you know, leadership does... Um, put a person kind of in interesting situations at times, and it probably doesn't really work real well to be a person who, as soon as uh, 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 something gets a bit tense or tight, he, uh, you know, gets upset. Uh, probably not a good, uh, probably not a good uh, candidate if, if, uh, if he seems to be a person that is easily disturbed and upset by situations and things and circumstances and so forth. Not soon angry. And not a striker. Uh, interesting word, not really one that we use a lot, uh, but it's in both contexts, uh, in Titus and Timothy. It, it uses that word. Uh, the the uh, definitions that I found on it was uh, uh, a bruiser, uh, a bru- uh, one who is ready for a blow, uh, and it uses the word pugnacious, which uh, is kind of gives the idea one that is is, disp- is disposed to fight or inclined to fight or is quarrelsome or uh, quick to argue, quick to, uh, to yeah to enter into contention, and uh, not a striker. Don't know what for word we would actually use that we use more commonly. I didn't think about that, but uh, uh, not quarrelsome. <laughs> not a quarrelsome person, not one who picks up uh, on quarrels and, and carries... Uh, yeah. Um, goes on, not given to wine, uh, and also not given to filthy lucre. Obviously, uh, given to wine could be a problem. Uh, it's good to be sober. Uh, not given to filthy lucre. Both uh, contexts, I believe, say that. One says not covetous. Uh, again, those are uh, things to be considered. Does the individual, uh, does he, is his, is his life wrapped up in his money? Is his life wrapped up in his job? Is his life wrapped up in success, in, you know, financial success? Is his life wrapped up in, in, uh, yeah, in all those kind of things, probably not a good candidate. Uh, not uh, not uh, greedy of filthy lucre. Not one whose heart is loving uh, money and and things and and so forth. On the positive, we have some some things on the positive note. Uh, in Titus, 
Titus, it says in verse 8, let's see, he's uh, a lover of good men, or we could say a lover of good. He's sober, just, holy, and temperate. Uh, when I think about a lover of good, and let's see what... Uh, Uh, t- in Timothy, it says it of good behavior, a lover of good, of good behavior. Uh, I think about loving uh, righteousness, loving right living, loving, uh, loving truth. <clears throat> so we have some positives there. person who is uh, sober and temperate, those words are very similar, uh, give the idea of uh, uh, temperate meaning, uh, oh, what's the opposite, but not extreme, not, uh, uh, yeah, uh, level-headed, maybe, that, maybe that's a word we're looking for, a level-headed person, a person who is, who is uh, uh, temperate in in basically in in many areas of life uh temperance sober gives the idea of a sound mind uh self-controlled moderate in opinions and passions uh just all kind of works together uh a just person a holy person a lover of good uh a person who is of good behavior just Good, good uh, character qualities that uh, actually good for us all. But if you're looking for a leader, it's good to have them. Uh, stable person, you might say. <clears throat> and then, uh, so we have some of those, uh, you know. Qualities that are considered a negative quality, uh, a negative character quality. Is it a quality? That don't quite sound right. Negative character quality. Hmm. Uh, (laughs) Positive character qualities. So we have some negative things, uh, some things to consider on the negative uh, and things to consider on the positive. Uh, Things that shouldn't be present in a person's life, things that should be. a part of their uh, person, character. Again, you know, I think we all understand that, uh, you know, no individual is perfect. And we are all on a journey and we are all growing. I think we understand that. However, um, it's uh, the Lord sets forth some wisdom to us here. And admonishes us on how to go about to put in place uh, someone in leadership, because it's much easier to reckon with the, these things and consider these things ahead of time as it is afterward. Uh, after someone is in a place of leadership, and difficulties and 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 problems in their life manifest, it's much more difficult to pr- work through and process those things after the fact as it is before. So we're admonished ahead of time to think about these things and as we consider calling forth someone 
to look at this at these uh, instructions. <clears throat> he goes on uh, another in both of these contexts. He sets forth one. Uh, he sets forth the idea of one that rules well his own house. Uh, let's see what he says here in Titus. Says, if any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. And in Timothy, says, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Uh, now, that's in parentheses. So, Brother Allen. That was added, is that right? <laughs> Anyhow, that last phrase there. Um, so, there's several things I'd like to say there, uh, though I don't feel like I, uh, you know, have a, a total grasp on what is all uh, being asked there. Uh, first of all, it says a husband of one wife. Uh, there's several ways that could be looked at. Uh, I would like to say that it is, uh, it certainly might speak of a man who is pure in his heart regarding his relationships and that he is a, he is a one man woman as we sometimes say. His, uh, his, uh, heart is at home with his wife and nowhere else. Uh, uh, some, you know, you could actually look at that and say, well, a, a single individual doesn't qualify because he's not the husband of a, of a wife, but Paul was a uh, single. Uh, individual, and I, I don't, uh, I don't think uh, I wouldn't be satisfied to, to chalk it up that way and say a man has to have a wife in order to be a leader. I, I wouldn't. Uh, however, uh, if he has a fa- wife and a family, then, then uh, take note. You know, if he has a wife and a family, consider his family because if you want to, if you want to. Uh, be discerning on how a person will actually uh, conduct himself in the leadership of a church, his home will reflect it at least in part. Uh, so the Lord admonishes us uh, to consider that. If we, if we expect that somehow a, a calling and a laying on of hands will make a poor leader a good leader, we're probably going to be mistaken. You know, if his leadership in his home was demonstrating uh, uh, fault and lack, then it's probably not just going to get better in a church context. <clears throat> so if he is married and has a family, consider how his leadership has worked, has worked out or is working out in his home. You know, we could ask the question, how broad is that qualification uh, and one thing I think we can be certain about, and that is that it applies to home right now. You know, how is the home functioning even as we speak, even as we are looking at it at the moment? It certainly applies there. How much further does it go? Uh, what if, the, if the, in the past the home reflected concern, but today it appears considerably improved? Well, I would think a little bit about Paul and, and the fact that at one time his life was, he was, uh, he was, uh, taking the lives of Christians. And of course he had a change of life. And then some five years later, 
how many years did I say it was? I even forget now, maybe more than five. And some five years later, the Lord called him forth and put him on a, on a work. So I would hate to, uh, if a person has in fact, uh, at one time in their life and hadn't done so well, but, but God has worked in their hearts and they have improved considerably in an area, uh, but some of the results back there might still be evident that can't be changed. I would hate to, to just totally block them out because, uh, you know what I mean. I, I'm just trying to be a little bit reasonable. Uh, that uh, if uh, there has been considerable improvement, you know, perhaps the Lord has been working in ways and preparing that, uh, that uh, at one time a person may not have been uh, qualified, but perhaps today they would be. I just want to give all consider all you know various considerations uh what uh where one could go with these uh, scriptures uh and another question of course that could come up is so what if children uh depart from the faith after they left home after they're no longer under your roof well you know i i certainly don't have answers to all of those um uh, definitely, like I said, one of the things that is clearest is that it's the home currently. And I don't think we are wise to uh, dismiss all other implications totally from the equation as we consider and pray. Um, you know, like, like for example, the one where uh, if children, after they leave home, choose to depart from the faith and so on. You know, you know, you, I, I hate to nail these things down, and I hate, and yet we have to consider them. Um, and I would say it this way: it has to be a part of our equation to some point. We can't just disregard it completely. If, 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 if there are numerous wayward children in a family, even if it, it, it wasn't until after they left home. You, you can't just dismiss it completely. That's that's where I'm at. I can't just throw that all away and say, well, it doesn't matter. Uh, at the same time, if there's, you know, a, a number of godly, obedient children in the home and there's uh, a child or two who aren't doing so well, uh, maybe not in the home anymore, whatever, you know, just various possibilities. Uh, I, I, I would, I would, yeah, I would hate to, to uh, draw a hard judgment in a case like that. Yeah. Just, I realize it's probably difficult for all of us to know exactly where those lines ought to be, and there really isn't a black and white line. It's it's more of the matter of that we, as we, as we consider before the Lord, that we have to kind of weigh in on the Scripture and weigh in on the reality and and discern what 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 would God have happened in this situation. And. One thing for certain, even if, uh, you know, if there is a, if there are situations where, uh, because the family does reflect a problem, doesn't mean a person isn't useful in the kingdom. And, uh, it doesn't mean a person doesn't have a, uh, have a, a, a work and a full potential in the kingdom, but just might mean that it's not the person for that leadership responsibility is what it might mean. So we have that part of it. Um, and then I'd like to talk just a little bit about uh, the gift for the task. 
So we've looked at, of course, the character, a reputable character. We've looked at uh, the uh, the consideration of his home and family and how that's all functioning. And then the gift for the task. Uh, scripture has a few things to say about that. And in... Uh, in uh, Timothy, it says uh, he, he should be apt to teach. In Titus, in Titus, it says that um, holding fast the faithful word, as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Again, the idea of being able to, t- uh, having a gift of teaching. You know, obviously in, uh, well, in, uh, in first Peter, uh, Peter says, uh, gives this instruction to elders. He says, feed the flock of God which is among you. Uh, obviously feeding the flock is a, is a part of the response, is a, a part of the responsibility. And, uh, to be apt to teach, to be able to, uh, teach the word of God is is important in uh, in this responsibility. <clears throat> and there in in Titus he says, uh, "Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught." <clears throat> so there's several things concepts that come into play there, and I'd like to communicate a little bit on that. Uh, so uh, a pastor, you're, we're looking to call a leader, someone into the leadership team, and uh, he needs to be apt to teach. That, that we, I think, we would all agree. It's uh, I have uh, I have I at times have felt sorry for situations uh, in churches where people get called to leadership and who do not have a gift to teach. That is that is a that must be a difficult place to be. Um, but so we we are called uh, the person needs to have a gift of teaching. They should have a gift of teaching, an ability. And I might say more about that later. Uh, but as Titus says here, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught. <clears throat> and I like to I like to draw a circle here to represent I'm going to call it the represent the faithful word, um, and that that circle represents what we believe here as a church congregation to be truth, uh, truth in uh, in doctrine and truth in practice. Um, I want that circle to represent that what we believe here as a brotherhood concerning doctrine. And practice. Uh, so we want to call a brother, and uh, as uh, as Paul said it, uh, one uh, who holds fast the faithful word as he hath been taught. In other words, he it has been. It's it's he's been in obviously in the church. The teaching has been going on. He has caught it and ta- and heard it and received it and embraced it and. Uh, and he holds it fast. And so, in calling a brother, and I, you know, there's, um, there's, um, 
I, I, trying to think how to communicate what I want to communicate. So we have, you know, uh, we do have a body of truth that uh, we believe here. We have a body of uh, truth and practice that we believe. We do have that. And uh, that is, that is, uh, um, you know, I, I don't want to present it in the, in the manner that we have it all figured out and nothing can be changed because that's not where I'm at and that's not where we're at. Uh, there is a time and a place to examine that body of truth and to consider whether it still is, in fact, uh, uh, according to the word, you know. Uh, but we have that. We have uh, this body of truth. And when we call a brother, uh, we, we, do, we should be discerning whether this brother will, in fact, see, this body of truth represents all of you, represents all of us. And uh, when we are looking to call a brother, it should be a brother who understands and embraces and holds to this body of truth that we, as we understand it, this truth and practice. Uh, and so that is something you'll want to consider as you uh, consider calling a brother. Um, there, and, and like I said, you know, there is a time and a place to examine whether this body is of truth is accurate and scriptural and all that. There's a time and a place for that. But ordination is not the time to be wrangling to try to sway this thing. You get where I'm going? So let's say you are here and you have a slight disagreement about some of this body of truth. And I have no one in mind. I'm just uh, just kind of knowing Knowing humanity, knowing churches, and knowing how things have worked already. And your, your persuasion, you, maybe you have just a little bit of something about it all that you, you just, um, you're just not quite of one heart in this body of truth. And so as you're weighing in on who to call forth the leadership, perhaps there's someone else who you feel could, would influence this thing just a little more in the direction that you would want. And so you are going, you might be tempted to be specific in your vote and cast your vote that direction. I would like to, and like I said, I, I have no idea if there's anything like this even present here. But I, I just want to instruct us from the word uh, and guide us into unity of heart. That is not a good place to be. I want to say that. If that's where you would find yourself, that's not a good place to be. Uh, I would rather encourage you uh, to uh, consider how in your heart you can come to the place where your circle can be solid, solidly around this circle, on this circle. And you can be solidly in there. Uh, there and like I said, there is a time to consider if 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 there's... Something that needs to be examined here. But ordination is not the time to do it. And, and trying to, trying and hoping for some kind of a, a, uh, a push in a certain direction through ordaining the right person is not the way to approach it. So I want to encourage us in our hearts, uh, if we find any of those kind of motivations in us, uh, I want to encourage us to to take those to the Lord and, and if I may say, repent of them.
and accept the body of truth as it's understood here and and seek God for a person and a brother who will, in fact, uh, as the scripture says, who who will uh, who will uh, hold fast the faithful word as he has been taught and uh, will also teach it and so forth and live it. Um, so I want to encourage us in that to be able to come to prayer as we pray about these things and to have our own hearts solidly, solidly uh, on uh, in in this have our whole hearts solidly engaged in this body of truth as we understand and practice here, and in that context to look to the Lord to call someone who will continue to uh, help build this because this is yours. This is your church, in a sense. This is your church. The church experience and its health and its prosperity is going to benefit you. All of you. And so, uh, go about that with much prayer and much... uh, uh, Carefulness and consideration. <clears throat> so one who is gifted for the task. Who uh, understands. One who uh, understands uh, and appreciates what, what uh, we are, are, our faith and practice. And is one who will c- continue to build it. Uh, is as what we're what uh, the scripture is instructing us here and of course having the gift of teaching <clears throat> having the ability to teach in ways that nurtures the people of god uh having a broad uh, the ability to teach you know a broad variety of subjects and and uh and content as opposed to just having some preferred subjects you know those are things that are important. For example, I thought about this illustration. Suppose you, suppose you were in a uh, Bible school or something, and there's someone cooking the meals every day, and you get to eat those meals. But suppose that cook uh, is very limited in her uh, vision and perspective of foods, and she prepares the same thing every day, and she only prepares it partially. You wouldn't really enjoy that. And so I'm just looking at the, at the, uh, the gifting perspective. It's important in, uh, in, a, uh, in a church uh, a leadership position that there is a broad, uh, broad teaching ability, a broad uh, uh, perspective on many, you know, a host of Bible subjects and just in a, an ability to, 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 to communicate those things, uh, you know, very various ways. <clears throat> given to hospitality. Uh, scripture says here, given to hospitality, talking about gifting for the task. Uh, again, welcoming, uh, given to hospitality, welcoming people into your life is hospitality. Uh, there's probably varying degrees of that, but there should at least be some of that gift present in leadership. Uh, it uh, if a person is very 
uh, withdrawn, I would say, or, or very, yeah, isolating himself and having little interaction with people. Uh, it's probably, probably not a real good candidate, but one who rather is welcoming to people in their lives and so on. Um, our time is moving on, and I think we'll get it covered here. Okay, uh, so we have gifted for the task. You know, yeah, we've covered it. We'll just move on. I'd like to talk a little bit about the spirit of a leader yet. Uh, in in conclusion, uh, as we try to wrap it up here shortly, Second Corinthians 11, Paul gives a little bit of his testimony of his journey or his life. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 11.23, just looking at the testimony of Paul and breaking in the context. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I more in labors, more abundant in stripes, above measure in prisons, more frequent in deaths off. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeyings often, perils of water, perils of robbers, perils of my own countrymen, perils by the heathen, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness and watchings often, in hungering, thirst, fastings often, cold and nakedness. Beside those things which, that are, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of the churches. And I, I read that, you know, that's that's quite a list, and I'm not sure anybody can match it. <laughs> uh, Paul was quite the man, and somehow his vigorous spirit stirred up trouble almost everywhere he went. But uh, um, but nonetheless, reality is that leadership is hard work, and uh, and it does need to be. It should be someone who has the spirit of a leader, if I may use that term, someone who can press right on when there's when there's opposition, someone who can who can maintain their poise when there is pressure on all sides, someone who can uh, uh, keep going forward when everybody's pulling backward, uh, someone who can stand when everybody's going down, you know that kind of thing, just a spirit that is not easily uh, Quenched or, and you know, reality is there's actually a, our strengths are our. There's a saying: our greatest strengths are also our greatest weaknesses. There's actually a there's actually a great weakness that comes with that great strength, and that is that we become so standalone that people can hardly touch our lives, and that's that's. But and then God gave Paul a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble, you know, and. So I'm just acknowledging that while we we need that kind of uh, we need someone with a gift of a leader, someone who doesn't uh, doesn't quit when going gets tough, uh, and yet we also recognize that that great strength is also then one of the areas of great temptation. Uh, but also I'd like to notice that. Uh, uh, while this individual is a is the spirit of a leader, one who who doesn't quit, um, we also have in 
In Acts 15.2, we have a situation that is noteworthy regarding leadership and Paul. Acts 15. Uh, I'll just read verse 1 and 2 to give us context. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And that's what they did. We know the story. They went to Jerusalem with it. Uh, and I like to say that uh, that is also a characteristic of a, a uh, quality leader, one who is willing to also hear others and uh, also uh, consider input from others and even ask for input from others and search out input from others uh, in, in situations that arise because we don't know everything. <laughs> we don't have all the answers. And uh, so... I'd like to wrap it up again with the verse there in Luke 10 to the harvest is the harvest truly is great. The labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors into his harvest. I'd like to leave you with that posture. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors into his harvest. I hope and I trust that that I've shared this in, in enough of a practical way that it hasn't put it way out of reach for us. You know, the, the calling is, is, is a serious one. I believe that the Lord knows who he wants to put in that place. I hope that the things that I've shared today could be a, a resonate as, as, as guidance to your hearts and not as confusion or, or uncertainty I, that that is to, uh, my my prayer would be that it, it could have been just a a uh, yeah just resonating in your hearts and continuing to guide your thoughts as you ponder before the Lord and let's uh, let's close with prayer perhaps if we can we could kneel <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we do come in Jesus' name. Thank you for this uh, time together here as a body. Thank you for having brought us this far. And thank you for the uh, collective effort that is taking place here in uh, uh, calling forth a brother to leadership in this congregation. Father, we again bless each family, each person here, each uh, individual as we continue to pray and ponder together. Lord, bless each one with clarity of thought. Bring to mind uh, the, the things that will help clarify uh, guidance for voting in, the, in, a, in next week. Uh, Lord, and uh, yeah, just guide us, Father. Pray that uh, these words could have all been uh, uh, easily understood and uh, that they could have been... <coughs> What I shared could have been from your heart and and properly expounding the scriptures. Lord, I pray that that, uh, each each person could have received nurturing from it and may may we continue to grow together. 
Father, bless, keep us in your care, and thank you for your love and care for us. In Jesus' name, amen.